This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kingsbury, a retired fleet mass chief and co-director of outreach for the U.S. Naval Institute. One opportunity the Navy offers to many sailors, if not all, at least the opportunity, is the opportunity to earn a commission. There's several programs out there that you're probably aware of, Seaman Admiral 21, Limited Duty Officer, Chief Warrant Officer, but there's others as well. Some are offered to you early in your career or prior to even entering the Navy, and then some are offered later towards the middle of your career. So it's something that I think crosses the mind of many enlisted sailors. I thought it was a great topic to build on. So in the January edition of Proceedings Magazine, the From the Deck Plates article was written uh, by a retired boats and mate chief, Jeff Bayless, um, and it was titled, So You Want to Be an Officer? I thought he offered some great insight on this topic, and I wanted to take time on this episode to dive in and offer some more perspectives on it. Jeff just recently retired in 2020 after a 20-year career. Uh, he was a previously assigned to Commander Destroyer Squadron 22 as the first lieutenant, and he also does a lot of public speaking. He was doing a lot of that on active duty towards the end of his career, and he also hosts his own podcast, The Evolution Podcast. Jeff... Thanks for taking some time to join me today, and welcome. Great. Hey, Paul. Uh, first of all, congratulations. When I first interviewed you on the Evolution podcast, you were like, ah, maybe I'll leave this podcast stuff to you guys. And here you are now hosting proceedings. So good job, man, to throw the, the ball back in your court. Like, I'm really proud of you and the way you've branched out with the content that you're putting out is very valuable, not only to sailors, but just people that want to grow. So to even be here, uh, you know, on a different platform with you is is a great honor, sir, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it was great to see you finally write. I know, uh, I don't know, it was probably six months ago when you teed up this concept of this article and we went back and forth. And uh, although it's a great topic, I didn't write it in this edition of the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, but I thought it was such a valuable conversation you had. I took some of the content we built on and I built it into the Petty Officer's Guide because I thought it was a worthwhile conversation. But as you know, you can only write so much and can only express yourself so much. So let's build on that article so the first thing I like to always ask is what prompted you to write it in the first place? Two things, Paul. First of all, you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you you encouraged me like you do everyone. Uh, you challenged me rather to to write, to submit maybe not only just for the enlisted essay contest, but just to put good information out there, right? So that, yeah. that's what I would say. Number one is your motivation. Uh, and, and your motivation was from a background of wanting to get the good narrative out there from someone that's actually been through the program and actually seen both sides. Uh, and anybody that knows my career knows, you know, I was chief uh, and then LDO for eight years and then reverted back to chief and retired, uh, which is, you know, a, another story in and of itself. But yeah. having that unique perspective really inspired me to want to shed some light on what it is to possibly attempt to create a meritocracy within a uniform service that requires rank structure and file. Right. Yeah. And, um, 
I think what I found coming back to the mess after being an officer for so long uh, was that we really need to think about these programs if we're applying for these, and I'm sure we'll get into it here later, but you know, I think a lot of people apply for programs just because they think it's what they're supposed to do, and yet maybe it's not as fitting uh, with their lifestyle, their value system, uh, what they could actually benefit others and themselves, right, and the Navy, right? Yeah. Uh, this is kind of not necessarily Navy-related, but as I was applying for jobs uh, at post-retirement, when I would go into an interview, I would tell the, the, the person interviewing me, I would say, you know, hey, listen – I really want this to be a good, and, and, and it does relate to commissioning programs, you know, but I, at the end of the interview, I would say, hey, I want this to be great opportunity for me, my family. I want the money to be right. I want the job to be right. I want I want all of these things for me. And not a but statement. It's an and statement. I want this to be a good fit for you. If yeah. I'm not the right guy for this position, let's not beat our head against the wall. Me being miserable for six months until I finally quit. You not paying me enough or overpaying me for not a good job, right? Like, you know, it needs to be a good fit for everyone. And so that that's the motivation for this this article and really just for anybody I mentor that uh, is looking into commissioning programs or, or quite frankly, even outside of that realm, anybody looking to grow. The question for me is always, why? Yeah. Is it a good fit? Okay. Uh, not just Not just doing it because it's something you think you have to do. Okay. So yeah, I kind of framed this one out into building this conversation about kind of five real tips that you're going to offer us. And then tip number one, you've already touched on it is understand why you're applying. So build on that a little more. Why did you feel you had to put that in writing? I think that's number one, uh, the most important thing. You know, I, I think I wrote in the article, I, I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's uh, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Yep. Uh, and and everything should start with the why behind it, right? And it's kind of like when we talk about disciplining sailors or those that work for us or even our kids, right? It's hard to discipline someone if their intentions were pure, but they just messed up. Now, if someone has bad intentions, it's very easy to award punishment, right? Yeah. So where I go with that is, you know, as we talk about the starting with the why, okay, well, are we climbing this ladder just because it's the next rung on the ladder? Or are we climbing this ladder because that's really where our true north is and where we're being guided? Uh, or, you know, it's like a burning fire in us that I just want to be in the wardroom. So I think, I think the first question, anybody that's thinking about applying for an officer program, the first question you should ask yourself is, why are you applying? Is it for the money? Wrong reason. Is it because that's what you're supposed to do? Wrong reason. Is it because you can't make chief? Wrong reason. Objectively ask yourself why you're applying for this program. And if you're applying for this program because you want to do that job and you think it'd be beneficial for the Navy and for yourself and for your family, that is the absolute 100% correct reason to apply for an officer program. Not because you can't make chief, not because you want to make more money, but because in your heart, you know that this is your calling and this is what you're supposed to do in life. So I go back to my career, right? About the 10 year point, there's a decision point, you know, and, you know, I'd seen my peers in naval nuclear power apply for LDO or warrant and I'd teed up several packages, you know, I'd come in and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to put in a package. And then I really pause and I'm like, I just never felt my gut was in the whole technical management piece. And we'll get in that a little more. And frankly, sure. I was getting advice and guidance from senior chiefs and mass chiefs that were saying they could look forward and see the the potential in me and they just kept encouraging me down this path of 
would eventually lead to being a command master chief or this world of organizational leadership and management. So to your point, I think that's a big decision point. You got to figure out, hey, do you want to get into the world of technical management? And we're going to get into, you know, do you understand what you're applying for here in a minute? Or do you want to get into this other path? That's really, that's kind of where the two paths diverge. You're either going to get into technical management. And this isn't even if you get a commission, right? As a rated mass chief staying in your rating, you're going to stay within the technical management of your rating. But if you're going to go command senior chief or command mass chief program, you're going to get into something different. And I think everyone, I think that's great advice. The money's the wrong reason. Prestige is the wrong reason. And the thing to do is the wrong reason. You really got to talk to mentors and huddle up and really figure out where your heart is and where your knowledge, skills, and abilities can best be applied on behalf of the Navy and for sailors at large. So let, let me add on that real quick. And also, we need good chiefs. We yes. need good officers. We need good chiefs. We need good first classes. We need good seamen that are just going to do four years and get out of the Navy. We need everyone. And so I think that a lot of times we think, oh, well, I have to – and upward mobility is great. You know what I mean? And we need people to make Master Chief and stay in the technical realm. Like it takes all of us. And so I, I just think too many times we get pigeonholed that this is what we're supposed to do. And we, we don't, if you zoom out and look at it at 40,000 feet level, you can look down and say, oh, wow, you know, like I have a really good senior chief that is running my department. I couldn't possibly do it without him or her. Thank God that person didn't put in a commissioning program because we would have lost this merit. So, so it takes all of us is what I'm saying. And, and no one is better or more elite than the other. Uh, I hate the elitist idea and in the word or more in the mess, quite frankly, I think that, you know, we should operate as a, as a meritocracy and it takes everyone. Tip number two, know what you're applying for. Why is that important? Knowing what you're applying for. So I think I wrote something in the article to the idea of how many packages I've reviewed for people that really don't know what they're applying for, you know, so I, I can only speak for the deck because those are the only packages that I've uh, not the only, but I'd say 90, 90 to 95% of the packages that I've helped people with, even after retirement, have been deck related. And, you know, it may say something to the effect of, in the write-up, it may say something to the effect of, you know, I want to be the bosun on a cruiser. Well, okay, so clearly you don't know what you're applying for, right? And yeah. so not only is that telling to the board, but it also means that you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You know, again, I can only really speak for the deck guys, but, you know, for us, it's you're going to get a bosun tour. You're going to do a lot of amphibs. You might go to a carrier's assistant department head. You're going to do an in-serp tour. There's not a lot of shore duty for us, you know, and even yeah. if it is, you're on call. Port operations, you, if there's weather, you're going to get called in to tie the ship up. And so, you know, I think it's very important not only to show the board that you know what you're applying for because it lets them know that you're well-versed in what you're going to do, but it also lets you manage your expectations as to what type of job you're going to do. And I'll just be vulnerable and say that I did not like the aircraft carrier job. And I didn't really know when I selected those orders, what that job was going to look like. So shame on me. I should have known what it is like to be an assistant first lieutenant on an aircraft carrier. And you know what that means, Paul, standing a lot of OD in fifth fleet. That's right. what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> it, yes. didn't, it didn't mean a lot of gung-ho, hoo-yah, Boat slinging, capturing drug smugglers in South America, you know, it, it wasn't as sexy uh, for me personally of a job, right? And yeah. I didn't know what I was getting into there. I knew what I was getting into in the community. And so, you know, apply that across the Navy, right? If you're applying for a program, not only is it beneficial for the, the board to understand that you know what you're applying for, like I understand that this is going to be a 10-year commitment. I understand that it's going to be a lot of sea duty. I understand, uh, you know, this or that, but you also need to understand 
you know, like when I went to the aircraft carrier again, I started standing OD in port, whereas I came from an LSD where I was command duty officer and multiple, like pretty much I ran that ship. But I didn't understand that when I selected orders after my first tour as an officer, right? Yeah, so it's just not the designator. It's also the, okay, you get selected. And we'll talk to this, you know, towards the end, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're on probably, you know, if you st- stayed enlisted, you could probably predict your career in a certain way. Now you get this commission and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you have three or four new launching points into three or four different areas <clears throat> of your community that you may not have experience with and you might find yourself struggling. Well, and exactly. And, and know, know the difference between LDO and warrant. So for my designator, an LDO has a, certain career path, whereas a warrant may bounce back and forth from ship to amphib community. You might go to beach group. And that those are just important things to know. You know, I think when you're young, you just look at an officer and you go, man, they made it. You, you're not actually thinking about what the job is you're going to do. And it might and, and make, I just think that's very important. Yeah. And I think uh, like one of the things in the Command Mashi program, it's I think it's similar to this too. There's you know, we had to sign paperwork that you now become worldwide assignable, right? So there's opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, having been a former surface nuke electrician, it was East Coast carriers and prototype were kind of my world, right? So, you know, there was some opportunity for some shore maintenance ashore, but it was in certain key areas. And then one thing I had to consider applying for the command mass chief, and and this applies, I think, to the office community as well, is you now make yourself available for billets that are worldwide. And frankly, as a command mass chief, my first tour ended up being in Japan, so just something to think about. So it's not just what is the appropriate program you're applying for, but what are the opportunities and where could you find yourself? So I think that's good advice. All right. Tip exactly. number three, let's get into building a strong application package. So I know this is broad, but just real quick, what's your advice on how to build a strong package for application? Yeah, this is great. I actually, on my podcast, I recently recorded a uh, an episode called Sabotage, where I discussed the importance of honing in on your soft skills and you know, I, I know that it is important to be a subject matter expert in your rate. And of course it is. And, you know, I'm not taking away from that. I'm just adding to that, that if you have soft skills, your inability to have hard skills can sabotage you if you're not focusing and, and really working on the soft skills. And so where I go with that is the administrative portion of creating a strong package, right? Okay. So you may not be the best writer. You may not be the most eloquent speaker. You may not, you know, have these soft skills, right? Well, don't sabotage yourself. Reach out for help. Ask someone to review your package. You know, I've reviewed tons of packages. And I think in writing the actual package, nothing speaks higher than prior evaluations. It reads like a book, you know, uh, and your experience. So for my designator, if you do not have a well deck control letter or some amphib experience, it's very hard for the detailer to assign you to a place where you're going to be alone and unafraid, right? Yeah. So the experience, the evals, that is important. And if you have a shortcoming, you need to be able to call it out because it's not like they're not going to know, right? So yep. say, hey, you know, I understand that I do not have a well that control letter and I have multiple experience and given the opportunity, I'm ready to uh, fill this role upon commissioning. So <clears throat> you need to tell the board and, and, and those that you're sitting in the interview with or, you know, getting an appraisal from that, you know, don't, don't try to hide behind your shortcomings. Don't try, cause that's not what LDOs and warrants do. There, there is no, or just leadership in general. Mass chiefs don't do it, right? You're not trying to cover anything up. You're not trying to say that you walk on water. You're simply saying, 
I am the right person for this program and here's why. And I think all too often I see packages that say either they don't address their shortcomings or they address them and then they're very self-deprecating in in their articulation of how they're going to overcome that shortcoming. My advice would be, for example, if you didn't have a well control letter, I would say, fully understand I do not have a well control letter at this time. However, I have multiple platforms experience uh, in amphibious warfare, and I am excited and ready and capable to take on this challenge once accepted in this commission. You know, and then also I would, other than not hiding secrets, the other thing is I don't think you need to add too much. If it's in your eval, it's in your eval. We don't need 30 enclosures to tell us how great you are that you volunteer at the YMCA, you know, yeah. show us that you can, you can do the job and that when we select you, I can assign you by yourself and, and you're ready to go. You, you know, you're turnkey. So that, that's my best advice with okay. passages, I think. And there's an assessment there of your writing skills, the importance of writing. So it's not just that you can convey your thoughts and your experience and show that you can write well. But when I look at a future officer and frankly in the cheese mess too, I'm looking for someone who has strong writing skills so they can apply those to writing on behalf of their people and presenting them and presenting their story and setting them up for success. So can you write well? Because then – I can see you're going to write good recommendations. You're going to write good evaluations and good awards. So I think there's an assessment of you know your what? written skills. That is so great. You brought that up. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that. But you know, just to piggyback on that, okay, great. Being able to write awards, being able to write fit reps, being able to write white papers, all of these things are big ticket items, right? And what else is important is being able to write a good job in the CSMP that's going to get screened to the port engineer that's actually going to get approved so that you can get this work accomplished during your maintenance availability, right? Yeah. Being able to write emails that actually make sense yes. to senior leadership to accurately articulate, you know, commander's intent and key tasks and milestones and end state. And, yeah. You, you know, so it. yeah, that's great, Paul. I didn't even think about that, yep. but yeah, just writing in your pack, being able to write in your package, lets them know you can do the fundamentals of administrative skills that you're going to be required to do in the nature of the work that you're selected for. Tip number four, let's get into this interview. So you get the paper, you've shown you can write and present yourself and you you tee up your career and that's the best you can do. Now, tell us uh, your advice on the interview. You know, just like any job interview, just like anything else, you never get a second chance for a first impression. So, you know, I can state the obvious, wear, you know, a sharp uniform, answer the questions openly, don't be too long-winded, be honest, have confidence. And I think also the major thing that I would say is there's something to be said for a firm handshake, not during COVID. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're doing fist bumps now or elbow bumps, yes. right? But there's something to be said for a firm handshake, looking someone in the eye, answering the question directly, right? A lot of people skirt around questions. So one piece of advice I would say is if they ask you, are you confident? Can you do this job? And the answer is yes, I am 100% confident period. Yeah. Not, well, you know, I I think maybe, you know, like, let's not beat around the bush. If it's a yes question or a no question, that's it. Let's, let's be direct, concise to the point, be firm, look them in the eye. And, And really it's less about impressing the people that are on the interview. It's more about their ability to trust that when you get up in front of a two star admiral and you're having a brief and amphibious offload or maintenance availability or, even something as small as pulling into port, which I shouldn't say small, that's not small, but it is routine, right? Yes. So that lets me know, okay, when this guy is an ensign 
and I put him out there to conduct an amphibious raid, that he can receive the confidence from an admiral that he is capable of doing his job and his ability to articulate what it is he wants or she wants to do, how they're going to do it. And so it's it's basically, it's less about, I think I read somewhere, it's like, it's like 60 to 80% of what people receive is less about what you said, it's more about how you articulated it, right? How you presented yourself in a professional manner. Did you make eye contact? Did you use a lot of hand gestures? Were you nervous? You know, all of these things come into play. So I would just say take five minutes before you go into the interview to center yourself, maybe focus on your breathing, have a little bit of confidence in yourself and just understand too, you know, if you don't get selected, it probably was the right thing. It probably was a blessing. Uh, and, and, you know, Paul, you know my history very well. And I yeah. would say everything that happened in my career turns out it was a blessing. And so don't beat yourself up too hard. If, if uh, they say, hey, shipmate, this isn't for you. Yeah. Hey, great. Thank you for the opportunity. And and now I know and I can charge in a different direction. Yeah. I think people just need to go in. You know, I've seen uh, my world hasn't been interviewing for officer boards, but I've done plenty of sale of the year and other kind of interviews. And that's where I really connect with your character and I get to really see the authentic side. And I know when you're not being authentic, I know when you're scripted and I know when you're not, you know, you're just trying to fill a role that we, that you think we're looking for. So go in, be authentic. Yeah. There's some nervous energy there. Use that to your advantage, but this is where people can really assess who you are and frankly, your public speaking skills. So this is where that communication tool uh, comes into play for those that don't think oral and written communication skills matter. They are going to be assessed, not just in these boards, but they're assessed by your people daily. So, you know, these, these guys, they put their pants on one leg at a time too. Paul, you are a very successful fleet master chief. I look up to you. You're a mentor of mine. I have a lot of people that I coach and mentor. And yet you and I are just regular dudes, you know, like we're, we're just guys that found a niche where we managed to be successful. So don't let that hinder your ability to say what you really think and what's on your mind when you come into that board. We're all just people trying to do the best for the Navy. And the board Uh, members want to see you succeed in that interview, believe it or not, right? I've done plenty of the sale of the year interviews and I understand that they're nervous. So I, if I was chairing a board, I always did my best to not make it intimidating, but to make it welcoming. I understood that they're going to come in nervous. So just realize that, that in many cases, the board is there, they're rooting for you and they want to see your best foot forward. All right, let's transition on to tip number five, resources. So what are the top resources you would offer that people need to access if they decide they want to go down this path of applying for a commission? But I think you already know what I'm going to say about this one, but I'll, I'll give a few before I get my number one resource. Okay. I put obviously the instruction, right? Like review whatever commissioning plan you're looking for, be it Seaman Admiral, LDO, Warrant Officer, like review the instruction, know it back and forth because somebody may even ask you like, what is higher tenure? You know, how many years can you do as a Warrant Officer, say if you only make W-4? You need to know the instruction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's obvious, I think. The other thing I would say as a resource is just any leadership and development book or even just listening to this podcast, consume as much information about leadership as you can. Get the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. Get the uh, uh, the Officer's Guide. You know, there's just so much information out there, so many resources out there, even if it's not Navy related. You know, we mentioned Simon Sinek. There's Jocko Willing. There's so much information out there that can benefit you as a person, as a family uh, member, as a leader, or just as a part of any organization. Man, I could just list a laundry list of books that I think are important. But Paul, you probably already know what I'm going to say. The number one resource you have 
is reaching out to a mentor and having yeah. that conversation. Absolutely. Right? And I, I would encourage uh, everyone to not only talk to an officer that they uh, respect, you know, for me, it was the EMO on Stockdale at the time when I was putting in my package that mentored me through the LDO process. I also had chiefs that I was talking to about, do you see me filling this role? Should I do this? And it has to be somebody you trust, right? Yeah. But I, I would get both sides of the coin. I'd get a master chief that chose not to go LDO or warrant that clearly is successful. Like Paul, if you, if you had put in an LDO package, you'd be a captain right now. Yeah. You know I mean? Clearly, but you chose your path. Right. And yeah. so I would, I would pick someone that chose their path. That's happy with it. You know, just get both sides of the coin. Don't just listen to the LDOs that are like, Oh, this is great. Like you need to do this. And don't just listen to the chiefs that like, Oh, you're an anchor chucker. You're a quitter now. Like you're leaving the mess. You're dead to me. Find someone that can give you objective perspective about both sides of the coin and then make your own decision. And then also, you know, another resource is your family. You know, it really is. You need to talk to your family and say, uh, whether you're single or not, you know, we all have commitments uh, outside of the uniform. And you need to, in my opinion, I didn't do this well. I'm not speaking from a guy that figured this out until yeah. <laughs> maybe 10 years later, you know, but it's like, hey, is this is this a good thing for my family or am I being selfish, uh, you know, right here? Absolutely. Uh, because uh, for one reason or the other, whether you decide to stay in the mess or, you know, proceed through the mess uh, or, or commission. So again, I'm being long winded, but hands down the best, absolutely best resource you have is communicating with people you trust in a mentorship role to give you objective advice on how to go forward should you decide to put in a package or not. To your point, right? That's the new coming to me, procedural compliance with the instructions. So pull that instruction out, know it, know the requirements, and then bounce that off people that can help set you up for success. And they're out there everywhere. And the best one is not the person who could have done it and didn't. There's a perspective there. But hey, find that person who has done it and was successful and has some experience under their belt and then could give you that solid advice. So I'll put myself out there too. You know, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm I'm a, a unicorn and that there's not another one of me out there, but I'm a good resource too. I mean, I I was, you know, a chief and then commissioned for eight years and then a chief for two years. So yeah. if you really want to know both sides of the coin, I have a rare and unique perspective on that. And I just put myself out there for a reference for anybody that needs, you know, some guidance. Okay. Awesome. Let's get into, you go through those, you know, any more person uses those five tips, they apply one of two outcomes. You either get selected or you don't. So the results are released and you get selected. What's your advice for that newly selected sailor to get a commission? This is something, again, that you should let your family know going in, right? So let's say you're on a sea tour now. Maybe you did a year-long deployment, right? Uh, if you get selected, what most of us should want to do is be successful in that selection, right? And for most of us that are in seagoing rates, that's going to require you to go back to sea. So that's a conversation that needs to be had prior to putting in a package. And I would say I got a swoop in, uh, LDOs and warrants don't get swoop ins currently. This not to say it couldn't go back, but still, you know, the AQDs are important, right? So OD, SQUO, EDO, you know, whatever the AQD is for your, you know, if you're a security officer or, you know, supply officer, I'm sure there's different AQDs that I'm not really smart on, but you're going to need an AQD, right? To, yeah. to progress. And then to ultimately get selected for a department head at the O3 level, basically the officer uh, equivalent of an NEC. So when you get OD, now you have this equivalent of an NEC in your record. 
So you want to get these AQDs knocked out, whether you can get SWO qualified or not. Uh, and so that means for most of us, that means going back to C. So the first thing you do, is, you should have done prior to getting selected is know what is important, right? That's part of knowing the program, right? So what is important as for me, uh, when I got selected, I already had a welder control letter. However, that would have been one of the first things, right? Okay. So I need to go to an amphib and get a welder control letter. The next thing would have been SWO engineering, SICWO, ATWO, officer of the deck. Uh, for a lot of people that aren't, that haven't been on ships, you know, boat officer, all of these things, may, whether an AQD or not, they show upward mobility. And so once you're selected, the very first thing you should do is contact your detailer okay. and just start working that plan. Uh, for me, I got ord modded three times going to, this is kind of a funny story. And it was during a change of uh detailer. And it, it, what we do is there's an ops guy and then it switches to a deck guy, right? So an OS and a BM and they alternate. The, the running joke is it's always better for BMs when an OS is there because there's no hookups, right? <laughs> there's no mm-hmm. buddy program and, and vice versa for the OSs, right? Um, but I don't know if that's true. It's, uh, it hadn't really been a problem for me. But anyway, so like when I got selected, I was trying to go to a ship to get a swoop in and they were sending me to like BMU in Japan. Then I got ord modded to ACU2 in Little Creek. And then eventually uh, the detailer changed. And then I got, uh, he called me up one day and was like, Hey, how do you feel about Alaska? And I was like, I'll go to Alaska if I can get a swoop in. He's like, nah, I'm just kidding, man. Like, yeah. you know, we got your orders, we got your orders to a ship. So it's a long winded way to say y- you need to start planning where you're going to go first. Okay. Right? That is the most, most important springboard for a newly commissioned officer is where are you going to spend the next two to three years of your career? So if you go somewhere to hand out basketballs as an ensign, you're going to be behind the power curve when it's time for you to transit as a lieutenant JG, maybe almost a lieutenant. And you don't know any of these basic skills as an officer because you were stashed somewhere for your first tour. I'm not saying it's it's uh, not recoverable. I'm just saying it's not optimal for the setup. And a squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So if you're reaching out to that detailer early, you're looking on fleet temps and you're seeing where, you know, other people are, right? And when they're rotating, detailers hate that. Pierce side detailing or something like that, where, you know, we're communicating because we know who's going to get relieved here and there. And we know. And so you say, hey, you know, this guy over here on this ship is leaving in April and I commissioned in March. Like, can I go there? Detailers hate that. But I still think it's good advice. You know, best advice would be go in hungry. Find out where you can go. Don't take, you know, no for an answer. Like, hey, we need you to go hand out basketballs. Give them a no on that. You know, say, hey, I'm really hungry. And then the next thing I would say is when you get to your first ship, you need to learn everything you can. I mean, I was learning engineering stuff. I was learning about MOGAS. I was learning about things that I had never experienced before from the enlisted side. How to use navigation systems, how to use... I could go on forever. Just learn as much as you can in the first two to three years before you get pigeonholed into what your designation is, because you're always going to have your experience and your rate to go back on, right? But you're an officer now. And so if somebody goes down or if you're, you know, standing CDO, right, you're the captain of the ship. And so if you're the captain of the ship while the captain is away, and you don't know where the number two generator is, well, that's a problem. You know what I mean? So that's my best advice for newly commissioned officers is, yeah, pick a good duty assignment, be hungry, learn as much as you can, and don't stay in this, like, that's not my job mentality. Because because as an officer, pretty much, if, if it's on that ship, you should have some level of ownership of it. And then for those not selected, what's your advice? 
continue to apply if it is something that you want, right? I see this a lot where people apply, they're not selected, they take a couple years off, they apply again, wrong answer. If you don't get selected and it's truly something you want to do, keep applying. Yeah. Uh, even if your even if your package isn't different, just keep throwing it in there. Keep putting your name in the hat. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's a numbers game because it's not, but it also shows the board that you're committed. Like this guy's applied seven times. Yeah. This gal, you know, has put in her, uh, you know, and she she's showing upward mobility. She's a senior chief now. She originally applied as a first class. Do you get feedback from the board when you do your interview that you can build on? Typically, they will tell you in the in the interview. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so take that you know, feedback it, it, and build on and incorporate it. And if you don't get selected, clearly there's something there that they've offered you. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a lot of people do try to reach out to people that they know uh, and have them set their appraisal board. You know, it's kind of different now in the realm of COVID. But when when I was doing this stuff, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything virtual or on a different day. It was always in a very formal setting where we all sat down together because it is important to give that direct feedback to the sailor that's applying. That would be my first advice is keep applying if it's something you want to do. And then my second advice would be in the total 180 is like, maybe this wasn't for you. Yeah. Right. And you only you can decide that. And so if it's not for you, maybe the universe is trying to tell you, you need to be the next fleet mass chief, Paul Kingsbury, you know, or force mass chief, Kevin Goodrich. Maybe this is a sign that it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a this, it's not a put down, it's not a shutdown, it's not a closed door. It, it could be a good opportunity for you to pivot yeah. and, and set your sights on climbing the ranks in the mess and becoming the best dang mass chief the Navy's ever seen. Obviously, it's going to be disappointing, but don't let that be the reason that you don't apply again. I would often encourage people, hey, give it two, maybe three times. And then if you're consistently not applying after that, then I think you're being sent a message and hopefully you're getting some encouragement and some feedback that can help you make that decision. That's great. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and also I talk about keeping this optionality and people say money can't buy happiness. Well, that's true. Money can't buy happiness, but it does give you optionality, right? Yes. So optionality is very important in life. Where I'm going with this is if you're not selected, great, put in a senior chief package. And then put in your LDO package again, and then put in a warrant package, and then put in a master chief package. And at the same time, and let's say you get selected for warrant and senior enlisted advisor, and you have a decision to make. That's a good position to be in, you know? So keep keep the optionality is what I would say. If you get declined or turned down for a commissioning program, apply again and apply for a senior chief and be the best dang senior chief you can be. Let's wrap it up. Any last thoughts? Anything we didn't cover you want to emphasize? No, I would just offer myself as a resource. Uh, you know, feel free to put my whatever. The best way is my flow page now. Uh, and you, I'll give you the link you okay, can find there. But that. I'm on Instagram. I'm very open on Instagram. So it's just Jeff Bayless underscore on Instagram. Uh, you can check out the Evolution podcast. I did an interview on uh, Don't Give Up the Ship podcast yeah. uh, about basically also in relation to this article, which okay. is a good reference. Got it. Uh, so that, that's probably the best way. All right. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. My guest today has been retired boats and mate chief, Jeff Bayless, uh, and he authored So You Want to Be an Officer. It was the From the Deck Plates article in the January edition of Proceedings Magazine. So check that out. Jeff, thanks for offering this advice and your experience. Good luck on uh, this next chapter in your life and let's keep in touch. Yeah. Hey, Paul, again, just kind of shine a light in your corner, man. Uh, very proud of you. I think you're doing great. It's really 
inspiring to see all the good stuff you're doing for sailors and people uh, around the, the, this organization. And so, uh, you know, just thanks for the opportunity to come back on and share one minute of the 30 minutes with some good information. So hopefully people get something out of it, man. All right, cool. Thanks for that. And uh, great time catching up with you again. So, all right, everyone, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining me again. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe to our U.S. Naval Institute podcast channel. And leave us your thoughts and comments in the episode description. And remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.